0: Genesis 46, beginning of verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Chapter 47, verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the, the years of his life were one hundred and forty seven years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can come and study and uh, look intently at your character that you have revealed through your word. And it's only because of the person and work of Jesus that we might uh, have this privilege to come and do this. And we're grateful for the work of the Spirit who is working in us now as we read Scripture to make it known to us. So God, I pray that you would be with us you would keep us attentive and that you're, you uh, would be glorified in this time and it would be profitable for us as we seek to uh, know you more and uh, desire to please you with our lives. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So let's backtrack a little bit to chapter 45 and catch up where we left off last week. Last week we kind of ended at uh, the beginning of chapter 45 where Joseph has just made himself known to his brothers. Joseph says to his brothers in verse 4, Come near to me, and they came near. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And he tells them and he comforts them by saying, Don't worry, it wasn't you who did it, but God sent me here. As if that's going to comfort them. Their guilt has just been found out. He says then to his brothers, verse 9, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herd, and all that you have. What a message, right? These brothers come back to their father in the land of Canaan. There's 11 of them. And no doubt Jacob is probably waiting for his sons to come back, making sure that the youngest one is with him. And he sees them coming back. They come first, and they don't have any of their supplies. And and they tell him... Dad, you'll never believe this. You know that mean man we were telling you about in Egypt? He's our brother Joseph. The text says that when he when they told their dad that, he didn't believe them. That his heart was numb and he didn't believe them. And then what does he see coming over the hill on their land? These carts. Those aren't Canaanite carts. Those aren't full with Canaanite people or food or sacks. Wait, those are Egyptian carts and there's lots of them. Benjamin, boys, where'd you get these clothes? Benjamin, that sack of gold and silver you have, where did you get this? We're telling you, our brother Joseph is alive and he is second in command in all of Egypt. Oh, and he wants you to come and live with him. So let's pack our bags and let's go. Can you imagine your family is facing famine? We don't we don't know what famine is, per se, but your family is facing famine and you're worried about just living. And now you find out the son you thought was dead is second in command of the ruling power of the world at that time, probably. And now you get to go live with him and he's going to take care of you. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and he came to Beersheba. We expect that the next verse is going to tell him he leaves Beersheba and he goes and he finds his son, Joseph. And they're reunited. But we don't. Jacob comes to Beersheba. Do you remember what Beersheba is? Beersheba to the patriarchs is a very um, familiar spot. It says that he offers sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Later we, earlier we've seen that Isaac himself dug wells in Beersheba. They built altars in Beersheba. They met with God, they offered sacrifices. This is a well-loved, well-known spot for the patriarchs. So here's Jacob. He's so excited. He's got his whole family with him. This is not a "Grandpa, we're going to buy you a plane ticket and send you out to see your boy. This is a, all right, family, let's pack up our bags. Kids, get your toys out of the yard. We're going. Pull up the tent pegs. Here we go. We're on our way to Egypt. And then he comes to Beersheba. And no doubt seeing maybe the altars as family, his fathers had set up. Reminiscing of the ideas and the worship of his fathers, the sacrifices that they made, the promises that they heard, the meetings that he heard about that they had with God. He's on the border. Beersheba's on the border of Canaan. So he's right there on the border of the promised land. Excited to go to Egypt, but he stops. And he offers sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God had directly promised Canaan to Jacob back in Genesis 28. He says, I am Yahweh, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land you are now sleeping on. Jacob was running away from his brother. God meets with him in the middle of the night. And there's a vision of these angels descending and ascending on this staircase. And God comes, stands next to the sleeping Jacob. And he says, I'm going to give you this land that you're now sleeping on. Jacob is on the border of leaving that land. And he worships and he offers sacrifices to God. So not only is Jacob excited about the fact that he gets to go and see his son Joseph. Remember, reunions have lots of emotions, but he's also nervous and questioning if he should leave the land. Because this land has been promised to his offspring. If he leaves the land, does he nullify the covenant? If he leaves the land, is God going to come with him? The people in these days believe in local deities that cannot cross borders. So if you left Canaan and you believed in a God who could not leave Canaan, your God doesn't have passport, then you've got to either get a visa for another God to help you transfer, or you've got to go without your God. So here's Patriarch Jacob. Believes in the God of heaven and earth, but yet he's influenced by a cultural culture that says your God can't cross borders he might be influenced by other people, maybe, who are saying you shouldn't leave this land. Maybe his parents said, don't ever leave this land. This is our land. This land is my land. Don't ever leave your land, boy. But his family's got to go to Egypt at some point. Either he's going to stay in the land of Canaan and keep shipping his boys out to get food and possibly face death, or he's going to go and possibly face nullifying the covenant. Or interrupting it for a later time. And if they go to Egypt, how is he sure that his family of 70 people is going to stay pure? Is going to stay a nation that God is going to continue to build. His, his people are supposed to have a land and they're supposed to have a generation or a people that cannot be numbered like the stars of the sky. So if he goes and he puts his 70 people in the midst of maybe hundreds of thousands of people they might get lost they might get they might intermarry they might fall in love with egyptians and lose all national ethnic identity so what would you do your patriarch jacob what do you do for most of us we would probably say if we stay here we're going to die of starvation possibly but if we move to egypt where my second son is uh, my son is second only to pharaoh And we have an invitation from Pharaoh himself. Then we will live and not die. And God must be okay with this because after all, the covenant is dependent upon us living, right? God sent the famine as well. He had to have known that this would happen. Besides, we'll try to return at home as soon as we can so that we might be able to enact the covenant once again. That seems logical, right? Go and save your life and then come back whenever you can get the chance. But what does Jacob do? Forget logic. He worships. He stopped the caravan, takes his flocks, and he offers sacrifices to God. Ah, oh, pardon Dad, your son you haven't seen for twenty two years, he's just over here. If we keep moving, we'll make it by sundown, maybe, of next month. If we keep moving, and we might be able to eat dinner with Joseph. Come on, Dad. No you know, son, we have something more important we need to take care of. This offering of sacrifices is not just putting an animal on altar and killing it and saying, due diligence done, my religious practice, I can go home, we're good, I've got a stamp of approval from God. Because when we offer sacrifices, in Genesis, this idea of offering sacrifice is also coupled with the phrase of... Um, <laughs> just left. Offering sacrifice is... Um, Bop, bop, bop. Coupled with the idea of calling on the name of the Lord, so when you're offering sacrifices, it's not just me offering meat that we wish we could eat right now, but it's calling on the name of the Lord. You're asking God to take this sacrifice, and you're either asking for forgiveness, you're asking for protection, you're offering your thanks to God. No doubt, all these things are going through Jacob's mind. Bruce Waltke states, and a commentator states on this idea that this is more than just uh, offering of a sacrifice for a religious practice. He says this is done to establish communion between God and the worshiper and to establish the right spiritual milieu for the vision that follows. So this act of worship puts Jacob in the spot where now having communed with God, he is ready, he is prepared if God should speak to accept whatever God says. Let me repeat that. Jacob, having communed with God, is now prepared, if God should speak, to accept whatever God says. He's now in the right position, probably prostrate before God, to hear from God. You see, Isaac, his father, when there was a famine in the land, Isaac is bags packed, ready to go. And God comes to him and says, nope, you're not going. You're not going down to Egypt. When there's a family land before that, Abraham just goes. But at that time, it's he and his wife. Isaac can't go. So what if God comes to Jacob? Can't go. Maybe Joseph can come here, but you can't go. Jacob, having communed with God, is now prepared if God just speaks to accept whatever God says. We worship primarily. We worship first. Worship is to be seen as our most important activity. And the one thing we view in life as a necessity that gets done today. We should see it as our most important activity. And that if we got nothing else today done, we worship. That's why I said this is, for me, the most important part. When we come, I mean, it's in one verse. He stops and he offers sacrifices to the Lord. Calls on the name of the Lord, the God of his father, Isaac. And for him, this is the most important thing that we could do. Just as Jacob, we're in a foreign country, living as temporary residents, awaiting the time when we get to go home to be with Jesus. The psalmist in Psalm 18.3 says that we should cry out to God because he is worthy to be praised. God is worthy of our worship. Worship is not just come to church, we sing, we pray. We give our money, tithes and offerings, we listen to preaching. Because we know as Isaiah says in Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, because as people draw near with their mouth and honor me with my lip with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, how can it be that we can do such a thing and come here and honor God with our lips, give him our attention, sing these songs with our mouth, and yet our hearts not at all be worshipping the true and living God? How can it be? How can we get to the point where we come and we worship, but our heart here, even today, is far from God? Jesus tells us in Matthew six twenty one, "For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." You want to know why your heart is far from God? Why you struggle with genuine worship? Why you struggle trusting with God? Why you struggle reading your Bible? Why you, why you struggle with giving and generosity? You want to know why worship is difficult? Why it's hard to come to church sometimes? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So it's hard to come because it's not your treasure. It's hard to come because God is not your treasure. Because for you, everything but God is your treasure. Maybe your family is your treasure. Your job, your vacation time, your house, your hobby, your sports... Worship is a life lived in communion with God. Worship is not necessarily what I'm doing for God, but it's how I esteem God. It's how I think about God. It's the place that I give him in my life. Jacob didn't come to Beersheba and just give trip, get trip insurance and AAA coverage by offering sacrifices. He comes because this is his genuine response. God, I'm leaving this land. And I want to know that you are with me. I need to know that you, God, will protect me as I go on. Because I'm going into a foreign country. We are in a foreign country. We are illegal immigrants. We are in a foreign country. We are longing for our home, which is Canaan, which is the promised land. And sometimes we don't act as we are. We act like this is our home we have the perspective that we're longing for something else, then it's quicker for us to realize, why am I holding on to this as my treasure? This is silly. I need to be longing for the one I will spend eternity with, and the one I will long to see, and the one I, I long to be with, who has made, made me his. Before we leave this point, let's look at the end of 47. This is not the last time that Jacob worships. In fact, to use a word that we use often that happens just because it happens often. We don't use it to make it up, but it happens. That's why we use it. We have another inclusio. which We have these bookends that encapsulate this narrative. At the end of chapter 47, verse 31, Jacob has just asked his son Joseph, make sure I don't get buried here in Egypt. I don't want to be buried in Egypt. Please send my, my body to, uh, back to the promised land. Jacob swears it and he says he will. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This word bowed can also be translated worshipped. And often through the book of Genesis, it is translated worship. And often in the book of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament is often translated as bowed and worshipped. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Some translations read that he bowed in gratitude gratitude upon the head of his bed. In fact, Hebrews 11.21 has a similar instance and says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. It could actually be a reference to this passage because the word bed can be translated staff. You think I'm making this up? the head of his staff. I mean, look how similar the phraseology is here. So Jacob bowing in worship at the end of his life and Jacob bowing in worship at the beginning here before he enters the land of Egypt. So Jacob is bowing in worship by offering sacrifices as he's leaving the land of Canaan. And as he's on the precipice of entering it once again, because he's going to die and go back into the promised land to meet his savior, he bows in worship out of gratitude, maybe because we'll see later of what God has promised has come to pass. We have spent, I think, a good deal of time on this first point, And we're going to move on. The message is uh, going to keep moving. Uh, don't worry. We're going to get into more. We're not going to spend as much time as we did on just uh, one, two verses as we will in the rest of the passages. But I think it's important because it's from this first point That we as believers who are not citizens of this country, people who are longing for another homeland, that we as believers, we worship primarily. We take what what Jacob has done here as an admonition to us of where our treasure is and what we worship. Because it's from a heart that worships primarily that we will act upon and do points number two and three. Because God is worthy of worship, we make it our every aim to worship Him primarily. And this worship of God allows us to secondly trust Him instinctively. Jacob has finished offering his sacrifices at the end of verse 1. He finished offering his sacrifices. He's put his family to bed. He's got the coffee pot ready for the morning. And he goes to bed. Jacob. Jacob. It's interesting that this same phrase. I don't know if the uh, narrator is just doing it for continuity's sake, but it happens every time that God speaks to someone in the middle of the night. If someone woke me up in the middle of the night, I'm probably not going to say, here I am. I might have to be like Samuel, who takes like three or four, three times before he gets it. <laughs> Chances are my wife would wake me up and say, someone's calling you. My phone would be buzzing with a text message. Stephen, But this is reminiscent of Abraham, Abraham, when he's about to slaughter his son, Isaac, on the altar. When God tests him for his faith, he calls out his name. And Abraham says, here I am. So here, Jacob, as he's on getting ready to enter, go on and finish his journey to Egypt. God calls out to him. Jacob says, here I am. Then God says, I, I am God. I'm the God of your fathers. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. We know that Jacob is wrestling with, should I leave and go? Should I leave this land? Because this is where the the covenant uh, has been promised. This land has been promised to our family and to our, our people, to my offspring. Should we leave this land? He's wrestling with these things of, should I go into Egypt? Should we, what's going to happen to the covenant? God, are you going to come with us? We know he's struggling with these types of things because of what God says to him. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and will bring you up again, and Jacob's hand shall close your eyes. That last phrase, Jacob's hand shall close your eyes, might be why Jacob Jacob, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Maybe that's why Jacob at the end of forty seven worships, because that was fulfilled as his son is right there promising to take his body. into the land of his fathers, put him in the the field of Machpelah and uh, bury him with his father Abraham. And maybe he rejoices in worship because God has shown himself faithful in that. But here, what a comfort for God to say to his son, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go down to the land of Egypt because I'm going to go with you. And there, in the land of Egypt, I will continue the covenant promises that I have given to you already. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. Go ahead and go down. And when you come back, we'll, we'll go ahead and reinstate that. We'll just put it on vacation mode for right now, like you can with your newspaper delivery. We'll just put it on vacation. When you come back, we won't count against your subscription. You can just pick up where you left off. God doesn't say that. Go down to Egypt, and don't be afraid, for I will make you there into a great nation. And I myself, because what I said before, I am God. I am the God of your fathers. I am not a local deity. Who can't cross borders. I will go down with you into the land of Egypt. And I will bring you up again. What he doesn't say is, you're going to come back again alive. Because he brings him back again. We'll see in chapter 50. But he brings him back again in a body bag. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So God is making a promise once again to his patriarchs. And what's God really promising He's not saying, I'm going to promise you a bunch of tangible stuff. I'm promising you me. I want you to go down. Don't be afraid, because I'm coming with you. And I'll bring you back again. I will keep all my promises that I have made. I will keep them all to you. John Calvin states that this phrase, these promises from God, prove that the sacrifice of Jacob was acceptable to him. Jacob offers worship to God in the form of sacrifices. God, by saying this, approves it and says, don't be afraid. I'm going to come down with you. I will keep my covenant promises with you there. You're not going to dissolve into the nation of Egypt. You will keep your corporate national identity. I will make of you a great nation there. In the midst of famine, I will be with you. Don't be afraid but it's the pharaoh he can do whatever he wants don't be afraid this is like a child holding close to daddy my son is in the habit of repeating words constantly and so if he can't see you he thinks that you've left him and so it's daddy 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 until you present yourself because you can say daddy's right here if you're in the other room but if he can't see you he doesn't he doesn't i, I don't know if he just thinks you're like On the monitor saying it and you're at work. But once he sees you, then it stops. Usually. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm right here. It's okay. I'll walk you down the stairs. You won't fall. The comfort that that brings a two-year-old is the same as God saying to us, I will always be with you. I will take you down to this land and I will bring you up again. You are not going to be strangers and foreigners here on earth forever. I have you here, but I will bring you home. God has these promises that He has given to Jacob to assure him that He will be with him, that He is still the God of His fathers, the God that they have worshipped, that He is continually worthy of worship, and that He will keep His covenant with His people. So because of that, we can trust this God instinctively. Let's look at briefly through this, these chapters, how God fulfills his promises to Jacob. And how looking at the fulfillment of these promises already here in chapters 46 and 47, not to mention the ones that are mentioned throughout all of Scripture. We'll just look at these here, just for time's sake. But just to look at these shows us as believers how just recounting and writing down maybe the faithfulness of God to us in different areas can really be served to bolster our trust In God, we might come and we might have difficulty worshiping because, you know, our treasure is is sports or money or job or whatever. And yet when we're constantly thanking God with a heart full of gratitude for what he's done, even in small things and ways in our own life. And and we might have the opportunity to write that down to remember and to pray for and to worship God because of that. That's going to cause us as we as we worship more over just reading what God has done, draws to instinctively trust God, even though maybe a difficulty comes up. And we remember God took care of us in all of these little areas that maybe we would have overlooked if I wasn't writing them down, if I wasn't taking the time to thank God for them specifically. When we moved recently, um, someone encouraged me uh, just with the uh, chaos of events and all that happened perfect timing uh, to write it all down. And I did. And uh, what what a joy it was to be able to go back over and to thank God for every step that had to be in place in my mind, but that he saw fit to ordain uh, for, our, for his glory and our good. So let's go ahead and let's look over these next two chapters, seeing how God provides and fulfills his promises uh, here to Jacob and to his family and draws us to trust God instinctively. Even looking over these of other people will help us believers as we um, as we see God providing, God showing Himself faithful. First, Jacob and his whole family arrive safely in Egypt. The text goes on. Moses has the time to and takes the space to list out every single person who goes to Egypt, minus some of the daughters-in-laws and maybe some other people, but um, mainly all of the sons and daughters are mentioned, 70 people in all. Verse 26 of chapter 46, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's wives, were 66. Persons in all, and the sons of Joseph who were born to him were two. All the persons who came into Egypt were 70. They all got into Egypt. God brought them safely to Egypt. That's a blessing. That's God showing himself faithful. Don't be afraid to go down. Second, Jacob sees his son Joseph. God shows himself faithful. This is the son who's going to put his hand over his eyes. Then Jacob prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him, his father, and fell on his neck and wept a good while. That's a great reunion. But God is shown as faithful. Jacob sees his son Joseph. Thirdly, God gives Jacob and his family favor with the Pharaoh. Jacob, uh, Joseph brings five of his brothers before Pharaoh and they ask if uh, Pharaoh can give them a certain land and Pharaoh does it. Pharaoh gives them the land of Goshen, the best of the land. Now remember, uh, these, these boys are um, rednecks. Let's just put it that way, uncouth rednecks. Remember that uh, it says at the end of verse 46, "For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." Nobody wants rednecks living in your neighborhood. I don't want to. I don't want to. I have no problem, but you don't want the trucks parked in the grass and someone working on the seventh one. And HOAs typically don't even allow that type of thing, and somehow they can get around it. So when they ask, when um, the conversation happens between Pharaoh and these brothers, I can imagine maybe it went a little something like this. This is what comes up in my imagination. Joseph says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, these are my brothers. Pharaoh says, It is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. What do you gentlemen do for a living? We be shepherds. No kidding. Yes, sir. We came because our brother Joe told us to. And so then they go on and they ask. I won't keep doing the voices. It'll get old. And they ask if they can have the land of Goshen. They just come right out. He's the Pharaoh. He's like the top dog in the whole land. And they just come out and bluntly say, give give us this land of Goshen. Yeah, please. Please. Please, go as far away from us as you can. You can have all of, all of that land. Please, no one will bother you. Please, take, take all of that land over there. But nonetheless, here is Pharaoh who can do whatever he wants to this family of people. And even as, as abhorrent as they were to the Egyptians, God gives them favor in the eyes of this Pharaoh. Don't be afraid. I will go down with you to the land of Egypt. So they take all of their livestock. They take everything. And they move out to the land of Goshen, to the best part of the land. Fifthly, the brothers are offered jobs to tend Pharaoh's flocks. They must have made a decent impression that they at least knew what they were doing about uh, shepherding flocks because he offers them jobs. In a down economy where there's a famine, a job is a pretty nice thing, especially a government job. Sixthly, another way that we can look at the faithfulness of God to, these, to this family, to Jacob and his family in a foreign country. Sixthly, Joseph provides food for Jacob and all his dependents while there's no food in the rest of the land. Did you see that? If you've read over this story before, we didn't take the time to read the, the whole text. But if you see it in um, chapter 47, verse 13, Verse 12, and Joseph provided his father, his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Okay, so they all have food. Verse 13, now there was no food in all of the land for the famine was very severe. But Joseph gives food, there's enough food for Jacob and all of his descendants while there's no food in the rest of the land. God is being so faithful to this family. Seventhly, at the same time that the Egyptians are having to sell everything. They're selling their cattle. The next year they have to sell themselves and their property because they've run out of money to buy grain. And so they've had to sell everything that they have. At the same time that they're doing that. The text says that of Israel that they acquired property in the land and became fruitful and very numerous. In a famine, you typically don't want to have more kids. It's more mouths to feed. But here's Israel being provided food by their brother Joseph and they're acquiring property. They're not losing property. They're not losing their cattle. God is providing everything for them above and beyond anything they could ever ask and think in a foreign country while the natives of that land, those who are rightful citizens, are having to sell everything. Here Israel is invited to have the best of the land of Egypt, and now they are becoming fruitful and multiplying. It is this blessing of God that in four four centuries will become not a curse to Israel, but will be the means by which they get evicted from Egypt. Because the Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph will say, they're getting too big, and if there's a war, they're going to they're gonna take to this people's side, and they're going to defeat us. Let's get rid of these people. Because God is so faithful, and he's providing a multitude of people that no one can number, and that's all of a sudden going to become a problem in 430 years. So in the midst of all this famine, God is showing himself amazingly faithful to this family. You know, sometimes we can read Scripture... And we can easily see what it says, right? We can read this story and we can see famine in the land. Joseph is getting food and these families are, you know, and and we have 15 minutes to read and sometimes it's so in the morning we we can read and we can see what it says. But we walk away and we say, man, I I don't really feel as though God was with that, that I'm going to retain that, that that was worship. I just, I read and, you know, if you ask me, I, I might be able to tell you, you know what happened, but it's, I read what it said, but i i didn't I don't know what it means so sometimes we we come to that problem where we we can easily tell what it says, but we don't we don't make the connection of now what does that mean to me today because for them that meant something you know it means the same thing, it always means the same thing but but i'm not I'm not making the connection I'm not maybe taking the time or i'm just I'm not seeing it and so for us who we, we as believers should worship primarily. We come to the scriptures and we, we read it, but we need to read it as a, the message and see what is it what is it saying to me. So here in these scriptures, as we read and we see how God is providing, and and we might just think this is a great story and it has a good plot line and I can't wait to see what happens in the rest of it. We can see that here God is, what this means is God is fulfilling his promises to this family and so when we walk away and we we can then make the connection to us and say, we're we are now Israel as well. And so God promising these things to this family, although he's not promised me a great nation, he's not promised me the land of Canaan. He ha- he has promised me the land of Canaan. Sorry, but this is not our home. Uh, he has promised those things to us. There will be a multitude more than the stars can number that will one day worship And so we ask God, "What does this text mean for me?" As I read, "What does this mean for me?" Because we've never faced famine, we've never maybe even even owned or know what to do with sheep and goats, and so we can't we can't uh, exactly understand what all they are going through. And so it's not really reality for us. But for us, our days are still filled with uncertainty. We only know what's going to happen today. And so we're anxious just like the Israelites were. We have some of the very same emotions that they do. And so we can easily make the jump from the Scripture and what it's saying to what it means. So this Scripture, what this means for us, is that we as we read God providing and being faithful to these people, that we too and our Situations and, and our struggles, our uncertainties, can trust God instinctively. This comes from a heart that is worshiping primarily. This is in no way, and I hope I hope we don't uh, think this, but this is in no way a sort of health and wealth gospel where if, if we believe in God and we worship God primarily. If, if we commit our lives to God, He's our, the Lord and our Savior, this is in no way a... See, look what He did for Israel. They're in the middle of famine. God has given them a land. He's given them uh, food. And they're growing. They're fruitful. And so if we can just tap into that, then all my problems will go away. That is not at all what we are saying. We are saying, in the midst of your pilgrimage, in the midst of these struggles... God is always faithful. And when we worship God, and that's, that's the one thing we, we do, that's the one thing that we should be about. When we are worshiping God and we're coming to the Scriptures and we're worshiping and we come here and we sing songs that aid in worship and all of these things that we mentioned earlier are giving and other believers in communion with you, fellowship with you, the Lord's table as we are worshiping. We see God at work in these difficulties, and we can realize that this difficulty that God has brought, He didn't bring it so that He can provide me wealth, but He brought it so I can worship Him more, so that my worship is only fueled all the more. Lastly, we want to look at bless everyone generously. Some of the parts that we have skipped over in chapter 47, verses 7 and 8. We looked at when Joseph brought in his brothers to Pharaoh. But here Joseph brings in his dad. Verse 7, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. That's a lot of rambling just to say I'm not as old as my parents were, my dads were. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence, out from the presence of Pharaoh. Twice in this short account, Jacob, the patriarch, assumes the greater position And he blesses the Pharaoh of the land of Egypt. Now, it it may not seem like a big deal that here, Jacob is blessing the Pharaoh. Um, Some commentators might say that this is merely a a hello and a goodbye. He says hello, he blesses him, and he says goodbye, and he blesses him. However, let me go to my friend John Calvin. We are friends on Facebook, so don't act like that's that's unheard of. Calvin states... For the children of the world of this world salute kings and princes for the sake of honor, but by no means raise their thoughts to God. Jacob acts otherwise, for he adjoins to civil reverence, that pious affection which causes him to commend the safety of the king to God. What he's saying is Jacob does not just say, you know, Pharaoh, may you be blessed so that he is looked upon as someone who is very gracious and kind. What Jacob is doing is he is asking for the safety of the king to God. He is asking for God to bless the Pharaoh when he blesses him. He's not saying, you know, may you have this. He's asking for God to bless the Pharaoh. This comes from a heart of a person who is worshiping. When you meet a king or the president of the United States or of another country. To not step back and say, you know, nice to meet you you know this guy is putting his worship forward and saying may the lord of heaven and earth bless you the word that's used here as blessed is the same word that god uses all throughout the book of genesis he uses it when in genesis 1 where he's blessing his creation where he's blessing his people remember in genesis 12 where god speaks to abraham and he says I will make of you a great nation. This is the first time God is making the promises that we are now continuing to study. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so you will be a blessing. Twice already the word's have been used. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says to Abraham then in Genesis 12, I will bless you for the purpose that you will be a source of blessing to others. So the source of all blessing, God himself says to Abraham that he will give him blessing. Not so Abraham can keep it and enjoy it and do whatever he wants with this blessing as though it's a tangible object. But he does it so that Abraham can now be a conduit of blessing to others. Notice also in our text that Joseph is a source of blessing to the to the Egyptians. So his dad is a source of blessing to the Pharaoh and that he is calling on God to bless Pharaoh. But also his son, Joseph, is a source of blessing to the Egyptians. This is a nasty famine that will last for seven years. And year after year, the, the Egyptians keep running out of money, as we alluded to earlier. And Joseph, through creativity And the Egyptians, through their will to live, come up with these schemes of selling everything that they own, selling themselves so that they might have grain to be able to live. At the end of it, the Egyptians come to Joseph and they thank him for saving their lives. Joseph has set up a plan where they every year will uh, get seed, but they'll give one fifth of everything that they have harvested back to the Pharaoh. 20% of everything now goes back to Pharaoh and the people thank him for saving their lives. Now, all throughout church history, Christians have not been known as a source of blessing to other people, especially to people who disagree with them. But I think here in this text, as we in our foreign land that we are living, looking for our future and final home, When we worship God primarily, it will aid as we desire then to bless others generously. This is the fulfillment of God, fulfilling his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would be a source of blessing to all the nations as Jacob and Joseph are blessings to Egypt. God is continuing to fulfill his promise, which instinctively draws us to trust him even more. For us as believers, let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians 1. For everyone, everyone, sorry, that was a misplaced modifier. Everyone, take your Bibles to Ephesians 1. For us as believers now, we read this and we see how God has richly blessed us. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Now, God told Abraham back in Genesis 12 that he would bless him so that he would be a blessing to others. Remember that. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have blessings that we don't even fully realize. What we see and what we know is the gospel through the person and work of Jesus. We don't yet understand what will come and how this faithfulness of God to those he has blessed and those he has chosen. We don't yet know what will come tomorrow, let alone what will come for all of eternity. But we have been greatly blessed in Christ God is worthy of being blessed. Paul starts by saying, blessed be God. That means praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He is worthy of our worship for the blessings he has blessed us with. So now we look at it, 1 Peter 3, 9, and we'll close with two ways that we who have been blessed can bless others and maybe should bless others generously. First Peter three nine says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. That's a command. That's an imperative statement. Bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Don't repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless. You bless. For this for to this you were called. I mean, I get that as a Christian, God saved me. God gave me these blessings. So now my heart should be intrinsically linked to worshiping. I get that. Okay, if if I believe in a religion where everything came from my television, which we sometimes think it does, it doesn't. uh, Whenever I think everything comes from the television or the Internet, I now bow and I give my time and my energy and all of my love and adoration to this box so we get that we get worship we can even understand and see this idea of trusting god has in his in this book has proven himself faithful he he promises certain things and and then we can read later that these things happen and we say he promised and then they came to pass that's that's amazing this god here must be faithful so we can understand the idea of trust because we as believers we as human beings, we do that all the time. And so we understand what it means to make a promise and keep a promise. But I was called to bless others. Don't repay evil for evil. That goes against the grain for us already. But bless, because to that you were called. So God called me and he blessed me with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. I have everything. I have everything that God has ever desired to give us. All these blessings that we have no idea what they are yet are ours because God has blessed us. And so that calls me now to bless you and to bless everyone. We have been called to be a blessing even in the face of persecution. 1 Peter three nine. what we read. Much less. So even if we're, on the contrary, supposed to bless those who persecute us and revile us, okay? If we're supposed to do that. Even less, we should bless our friends and our families and our neighbors, those who are kind to us, right? If, if we're commanded to bless those, then that automatically assumes that it should be a given that we're blessing everyone. Two ways I see that we can apply this, and then we'll close. One, we bless others by asking God to bless them. This is Jacob. Jacob asked God to bless Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And before you know it, Pharaoh now owns every cattle, piece of land, and citizen of Egypt. This can be very encouraging to our brothers or sisters, friends and neighbors. And this will be very encouraging even for us in our relationship with our enemies. By asking God to bless them. For your enemies, that they might be blessed with the same spiritual blessings we now enjoy for believers that they would be the blessing to continue in their pilgrimage worshiping God and trusting him and then blessing others. So we're asking that God would bless them that they would do this as well. We pray for people when they're sick or having difficulties, but how often do we pray for the almighty God to bless them when bless them just with his presence when they seem to be doing just fine. When when the person comes up and they're having struggles and 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 difficulties and, and and uh uh the you know the red flags go up and they call and there's a crisis it's easy then to put all of our attention on that situation and and pray for them and meet with them and be with them but brothers and sisters that are well they're good they're fine we just we just let go and just kind of put them on the the so, sushi rotating belt and just let them be so we pray and we ask god to bless people just like jacob secondly we bless others by being god's instrument of blessing this is joseph right not only do we pray like jacob we say god bless them you might use that blessing to bring them to salvation you might use that blessing to encourage other believers but then we also be god's we are also praying that god would use us to be his instrument of blessing joseph didn't bless the egyptians or pharaoh per se But instead, he, by God's grace and gifting, was the means of blessing the Egyptians by sparing their lives and building Pharaoh's cattle and bank account. Joseph was creative, even, in how he blessed and how he saved their lives. So sometimes for us believers, sometimes the best blessings, I hate the idea of saying that, like we measure them, but sometimes ways we feel blessed are when people do things that are, that are totally unexpected for us. So you you have a baby in this church. You expect the ladies are going to set up a rotation to bring you meals. That's a blessing. Let me tell you, that's a blessing. And we got four weeks, ladies. I'm just letting you know. She's at at 36 and a half weeks. And uh, I look forward to almost every single one of your cooking. I haven't tasted the rest. That's the only reason I make that caveat. I have not tasted the rest. And when someone dies, we expect the same thing, maybe. We expect we're grieving, going through difficulty that... The people of the church will come around us and they'll support us and help us through this difficulty. But how come when just you're doing all right, you don't get the phone calls, you don't get the, hey, just wanted to say, brother, we love you. And, you know, we like to like to bless you. You ever hear that? We just we just like to bless you. Be creative. Think about it. Someone provided um, was creative for us. And often this is how I think it happens As we've gone through difficulties. I think this is how the the beauty of the body works. You go through difficulties. God sovereignly puts you through these things for his glory and your good. And um, you go through these trying circumstances and you see how people have chosen to bless you or you see the needs that you have in that kind of a difficulty. So that when another brother or sister goes through something like that, you say, hey, you know what was encouraging to me or what I thought would have been really helpful if somebody would have done then that nobody did? We're not going to hold our, you know, hold that to a grudge or account of bitterness. But something that would be really helpful to somebody and you write it down. This would be really helpful when somebody moves or when somebody, you know, just changes jobs or something. And this would be a great way for God to bless them because I just went through this and I know what it would feel like if when they get diagnosed with cancer, somebody did this. Or you get all your teeth pulled out. Someone gives you a Jamba Juice. I just know what that would be like. And so I want to do that for you. And so someone did that for us. They knew what it was like when you move that all your pots and pans and your utensils are packed up. And so they brought over dinner with all the plates and pots and pans and utensils because they knew they'd be all packed up. That was a blessing because they were creative and because they were being willing to just make a meal for somebody but show the love of Christ and be willing to bless others. So I'm just, we're asking that we might in this way bless others by asking God to bless but to also be the instrument of blessing for others. It doesn't take food to bless me or bless others. It may just be talking and praying with someone. And let's pray with people and not just say, I'll pray for you. That's a blessing. When people just say, right now, there's people on the sidewalk, I'm going to pray with you. And ask God to help us in using our gifting because it might not be in meals, it might not be in talking, it might not be in praying, it might be behind the scenes, it might be anonymously asking God how we might be able to bless generously. Remember, God has called us to this. And as we worship Him, because He's worthy of worship for the calling, remember also as we trust him instinctively, He is faithful also, who calls that He will do it. So let's pray and thank God for this word we were able to look at today.